Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 212. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute material to every issue, so give it a try. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way-out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. Fifty-two pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to the slow poisoner at gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last on sale now is mark arlo's latest book called pac-man the first animated show based upon a video game this book tells the story of Pac-Man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the Hanna-Barbera Animation Studios. The history of the video games, pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-offs, the merchandise, and the animated TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980s series is covered and examined. Plus... Mark Arlen covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. The revised second edition of my Monkey's Book with Michael A. Ventrella called Long Title, the stars of Walt Disney Productions, and the Pac-Man, the first animated TV show based upon a video game, are my latest books out now. I just turned in my manuscript for Unconditionally Mad, and the Turtles book is in production. I'm also working on my TV Cartoons at Time Forgot book, plus articles on Nightmare the Galloping Ghost and Harvey Superheroes. On today's show, we have part two of my interview with Sam Viviano. So here we go. 
All right. So now back to Matt. Um, so obviously, and I've read this story, but I'd rather have you kind of uh, refresh it, you know. So that one issue with uh, J.R. Ewing apparently didn't sell well, according to everything, but I don't know. I bought it and it seems plentiful. So who knows? Okay. But I don't there know was a gap between one. that and when you return so Four what, years. what happened what happened and how did you return so well i don't know oh okay um you know as i said i first visited mad in 1976 yeah um i think i met feldstein then but i definitely met uh meglin and and um lenny brenner at that time probably to but i don't really that that isn't very clear but i did kind of stay in touch with them mm, okay. i mean I, I would go to the offices from time to time even though i didn't have any work and whenever there was a mad panel somewhere and meglin used to front mad panels a lot in those days right um i would go <laughs> and uh one notable one is um there was a panel at the society of illustrators mm -hmm. and nick moderated it jaffe was on the panel and dick de bartolo and frank jacobs and bob clark and angelo torres and jack davis um and i was in the audience and the poster was this very long sheet of paper mm -hmm. turned it over and on the back, I do caricatures of everybody uh, uh, in, on the panel. I mean, and I start filling it out. I mean, I put people in the audience. Uh, <laughs> I put Harvey Kurtzman in the audience, even though he was not actually in the audience. <laughs> um, and then I, afterwards, I went up and I got everybody to sign that. Hmm. Um, so that's I, I have that. That's in storage in Queens because I had that on the walls of my office at MAD for a mm -hmm. long time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I was not an unknown commodity, but as, as Nick pointed out, and, and this was actually also the kind of general wisdom around town, somebody had to diet mad before you could get a job because, you know, they, they had all the artists they needed and, and the general procedure was they would deliver a job and pick up the next job. Right. So they were always busy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do feel that the reason I got this cover to begin with was that Norman Mingo died. Right. And then um, Jack Ricard died. Right. And Feldstein was looking for a cover artist. Meglin knew about my work, but also John Ficara had just been uh, hired in September of 1980 as uh, a junior uh, editor mm -hmm. and he had known my work from Scholastic because he had been contributing writing to Scholastic. Right. So I think both of them pitched me to Feldstein. Mm -hmm. Now at this point, you know, Feldstein had been the editor for 25 years. Right. <laughs> and uh, he wasn't that comfortable with new artists, I don't think. Yeah. But, you know, it's to his credit. He called me out of the blue and gave me a cover. Mm -hmm. I don't think he particularly liked what I did. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think he was comfortable with me because I was a new artist. My sense is that the issue didn't sell very well. Yeah. There's also the issue that Mort Drucker wanted to do more covers and they, you know, it would be kind of like dueling caricaturists. <laughs> and I mean, Mort did have seniority. Yeah. Not to mention he was much better than I was. <laughs> he was after all, Mort yeah. F and Drucker. <laughs> um, so all I know is I never got another job from Al Feldstein. My second mad job came four years later after Feldstein retired. Right. And Nick Maglin and John Ficarra were named co-editors. They called me up and they offered me a movie parody. Mm -hmm. And so my second job for mad was a, what, a three page parody of Ghostbusters. Mm. That was part of a longer article that had a parody of Purple Rain illustrated by Harry North and Karate Kid illustrated by Angela Torres. And I got to do the framing panels as well. The opening page showed um, <coughs> Siskel and Niebuhr. Mm -hmm. uh, they were going to be introducing the movies and commenting on them. Yeah. So that was my second job. The actual reason I didn't get another job until then, pick one, you know? Yeah. yeah. I guess it wasn't really that important once you got called again, I suppose. I mean, you could still well, ask Vicara yeah. now and say he might not even know, but you know, um, I've heard differing opinions on Feldstein, you know, that he's pretty hard taskmaster and wanted what he wanted. And so, yeah. Even okay. people who liked Feldstein do yeah. want to argue with that. Yeah. And there's ones that liked him too. Like, uh, you know, in doing research for, you know, uh, if you didn't know by now, I'm doing a mad book um about the history of mad you know yeah <laughs> and it's covering all 70 plus years Ugh. and uh you know it's like but different people had different opinions about him it's like bob clark loved him but he came from an advertising background rather than a comic book That's right. background so i think he was kind of used to a more stern this is what i want type person you yeah know? You know, according yeah, to what he said, I never interviewed him because he's long past. But, you know, it's like so it's all archival interviews for that. But, yeah. Well, I obviously didn't know Feldstein. Well, I, I met him. I did a, a yeah. job for him. Yeah. Um, I've certainly talked with enough of the old mad guys. And you're right. Some of them absolutely detested him. <laughs> um, but even those that that didn't like. Al Jaffe is an example. Yeah. Jaffe got along pretty well with Feldstein. And actually for a period, they used to socialize together, the two couples. Mm -hmm. um, but Al would not hesitate to say that Feldstein could be very difficult uh, because he was something of a taskmaster, as you pointed out. And the other thing is he himself didn't have a great sense of humor. Yeah. You know, he wasn't like Harvey Kurtzman who was exploding with ideas in the, in the mid fifties. Mm -hmm. He wasn't like Nick Meglin, who was a joke a minute kind of guy. Yeah. Um, Feldstein's strengths from my point of view yeah. is that, um, Above all, 
he made mad last another 30 years. Right. right. Harvey Kurtzman may not have been able to do that. Yeah. Because Harvey, as much of a genius as he was, was not a very good businessman. That's right. <laughs> he didn't pay much attention to budgets or deadlines. Yeah. Uh, and if you if you look at what he did, he was often running into time and budget constriction. So he'd throw in a hey look that was right. reprinted from somewhere, or he would reprint something from an earlier issue. Right. Um, <laughs> Feldstein was very organized yeah. and, and that's what enabled, for instance, uh, for Bill to take everybody on trips every year or two, because right. if September came around, mm -hmm. Feldstein had an entire issue in stockpiled mm -hmm. so yeah. they could take a month off. Right. <laughs> Kurtzman could never have done Good. that. We were talking about that on Facebook today, the, right before Feldstein retired, or maybe right <laughs> after, they put out Mad 84, which was just all the unused inventory, you know, <laughs> because it was all paid for, you know, and Gaines yeah. had put it out, you know, and and, and Fakara and Meglin apparently didn't want to handle it, so, you know. Yeah, so you know. They did a special. Yeah. Oh, I got a dog barking here. Wally, All right. <laughs> you're going to have to excuse me for a second. Okay. Entertain the audience. All right. <laughs> we'll talk about you. <laughs> Bind oh. your back. <laughs> anyway. All right. While Sam goes off to attend to his dog, uh, we will be back in a moment and talk more about Mad Magazine when he returns. But first, no. <laughs> anyway. Um, hi. Hi. We, we um, didn't say too many rude things about you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, the other thing about Feldstein, I think is two things one is if he himself didn't have a good eye for talent i think he did but he he relied on people who did yeah. and if you look at and you're writing the doggone book now <laughs> if you look at the eight years between when feldstein took over mad in 1956 right. and i'm going to pick a date out of uh, the hat 1964 you know, in 1957 and 58, he brought in Don Martin and he brought in uh, Mort Drucker and he brought in uh, Frank Jacobs, I believe, came yeah. in that way. Yeah. Uh, I think, too, um, that Arnie Kogan came in that Pretty way. Pretty much everybody came in and then your tail yeah, well, end. Well, I'm talking about right yeah. in that. Yeah, one, your tail end of 64 period. is uh, when Sergio came in. So, you know. No, Sergio <laughs> was, was like in the 19th. 162 yeah way. yeah a little yeah Sergio but, uh, you had yeah. Paul Coker you had yeah, yeah. I think then's when Stan Hart and yeah. and uh uh Larry Siegel and Dick, Dick D. Bartolo yeah um the the thing that happened in 1964 which is why I closed with that is Al Jaffe who had been mostly just writing for mad right came to Feldstein with an idea saying, you know, all these fancy magazines like Life and National Geographic have these fancy full-color fold-outs, and I know we can't afford that, so I came up with a cheap black-and-white fold-in. Yeah. And Feldstein said, what a great idea. Yeah. Now, Al has said to me, and he said to many other people, too, 
that if he had brought this idea to Kurtzman, Kurtzman would say, that's a clever idea. We'll run it in this issue. Come up with something different for next issue. Right. I don't want to do the same thing again. <laughs> Feldstein said, this is a great idea. Give me another one next issue and another one the issue after that. <laughs> Feldstein understood that readers want to come back to something that has something they can grab onto, something familiar. It's the same, just different. Yeah. And I, ironically, and that's, what, yeah. that's the one thing still new in Mad Now, other than the cover. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah. You got Johnny but Samson I'm just saying that it, in but, general. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. no one else could do the, you know, Bob Clark would not be able to illustrate because it was still really in Jaffe's mind. So Jaffe started illustrating for good yeah. in 1964 with the fold-in, and then it was like a barrage of stuff after that. Yeah. So in that eight-year period, Feldstein really created the mad that people know. Yeah, And uh, it's a very different magazine than Harvey had put out, which is more like a humorous version of Life magazine. Right. <laughs> um it 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 had an odd accumulation of very different kinds of of comic voices both writing and art and yet it all worked together yeah and that you know i think you've got to lay that at feldstein's feet and say if not for you we wouldn't have had this magazine right um you know and there's a lot of there's a lot of argument you know, Kurtzman has his acolytes. Feldstein has the people, a couple people who defend him. Uh, but the fact is, there there would be no mad at all without Harvey's brilliant supernova, fiery brilliance in the mid fifties. But we would not have had mad last much longer than that if it weren't for Feldstein. Right. So I didn't know the guy, as I said. You know, he was not always a fun guy, <laughs> but he got the magazine in on time. Yeah. yeah. Every issue. Yeah. And and having having worked on staff for a long time, that's not an easy thing. It's no mean feat. Yeah. Well, the thing that I find amazing after Feldstein left, and I don't know if this is just relieving people of so much stress but it seemed like pretty much Feldstein did it himself with some assistant, but it's like later on you had like a, a number of editors, you know, it wasn't just Picaro and Meglin, you know, you had Charlie and uh, you know, uh, all the other editors, you know, kind of sharing the load, I think, is that kind of well, Joe and stuff like that? Joe Riola. Okay. So Feldstein yeah. left. Yeah. Ficarra had taken over DeFuccio's position. Yeah. Felsing left, Gaines knew that the wisest move was to name Nick and John co-editors because Nick was a comic genius, mm-hmm. but he was not a good organizer. Yeah. <laughs> if he'd ever see his office, he would know that. <laughs> John, funny, organized, uh, tactful, yeah. uh, diplomatic, a good boss. Um, they were very, very good partners together. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to take John's role then because yeah. he moved up. Okay. 
Joe and Charlie were hired together because A, they were partners and B, they weren't working full time, either one of them. Hmm. So John's five days a week were basically filled by Joe and Charlie, each working three days a week. So Bill hmm. Gaines got an extra day out of them. <laughs> got it. Um, okay. The other thing that happened, and this is something I made a big issue of when I came in, is if you're going to start publishing more material, you need a bigger staff. Well, that's true. He went monthly. I know that. You know, <laughs> we went monthly when 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 DC took over after Bill Gaines' uh, death, Paul Lovitz decided, publisher at DC, that Mad would have just as big an audience monthly as it would eight times a year. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a much taller order. Yeah. To to put it out fifty percent as often because. You know, you're, you're starting to ask more of the writers, more of the artists. And, you know, everybody wants to make more money, but there's also how much time do I have? Can I put my best work in? Um, and it's true on the staff as well. You know, we're, we're, we're putting out more pages more often. And when I came in, I kept saying, we need another body in the art department. Yeah. <laughs> and that was my mantra for most of the 19 years. And, you know, of course, in 2009 2008 or 2009 the big recession mm-hmm. everything fell apart right it went down to um, quarterly i know yeah. <laughs> right they were going to kill the magazine entirely wow and instead they decided a to cut it back to quarterly and b they cut the staff in half mm. uh and they cut morale by more than that mm-hmm. because as far as I was concerned, quarterly is not a magazine. It's a special event. Right. And, you know, we're doing everything possible to jazz it up and make it more interesting. But, you know, if, if the reader's not seeing it for, for three months, they're kind of losing some kind of continuity. Yeah. Thank God that only lasted for a year because by the end of that year, Levitz was gone. Mm-hmm. Diane Nelson had come over to take uh, the reins of, of uh, DC. Dan DiDio and Jim Lee were named co-publishers. And their first decision about MAD was to up the frequency to, to bi-monthly. And at that point, because remember too, is that not only had we been doing MAD monthly, mm-hmm. we had been doing uh, uh, MAD classics. Oh, yeah. All the eight times. Six times a year yeah. and, and mad color classics four times a year. No, no. Then they, they, they those two c- were combined into mad color classics, but then we did mad kids. Yeah. So we were doing 20 magazines a year <laughs> and I felt having, you know, whatever we, seven people on art staff was not asking too much. Right. <laughs> Cause it wasn't like we were loafing around. We were always busy. Yeah. Uh, and then we went from 20 to four because they mm-hmm. cut those titles out entirely. Mm-hmm. And then we went from four to six. Mm-hmm. But since we had such a small, small staff, that was good because we were also doing books and we were, right. then we got to doing the book zine. So we were always busy. Yeah. Um, now, when you, I know became... I skipped ahead a lot. Well, but... well, that's okay. When you, when you became art director, were you in, 
like in the running or are you just the obvious choice like were you were did, did they have other people that they were considering okay i i i only know this from bits and pieces um because i wasn't there making any of the decisions okay my understanding was that when dc took over uh jeanette khan who was the editor-in-chief and president of dc and paul levitt's the publisher they felt mad was you know it was a steady publication but they felt maybe it needed to be goosed up a bit yeah and 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 made more relevant to uh, a 1990s audience now that can be very difficult for the people putting it together because they said we thought we were putting together a very funny very topical magazine now you're telling us to make it edgier mm. so now you start second guessing yourself right constantly yeah um i think that they realized that they couldn't get rid of Fakara and, and Meglin because they really they were the engine that drove the, the, the choo-choo train. Yeah. But we'll call it a uh, I don't know. Call it a symbolic move. Mm -hmm. They decided that Lenny Brenner who had been on the Mad Staff since 1957 and it moved up from production artist to art director after uh, John Putnam died. Mm -hmm. uh, Lenny didn't know enough about how magazines were moving into the digital era. Mm. So he was moved into a consultant position. Mm -hmm. And they hired uh, someone who I believe Joe Orlando knew uh, to be art director. His name was Jonathan Schneider, and there's no question that he knew more about digital type, for instance. Um, whatever reason, that didn't work out. Schneider, I think, was art director for two and a half or three years. So now they needed an art director. Word came down from above that the powers that be wanted a name. Hmm. Well, okay. So they're starting to look at art directors uh, portfolios, you know, and then they're, they're getting recommendations from people and they don't like what they're seeing hmm. partially because art directing mad is like everything else about mad. Unlike anything else on earth, yeah. <laughs> except for all the magazines that, that imitated mad, but right. even they got it wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, and they'd get an art, they did, they'd give some kind of a, like a test assignment to a, a fancy schmancy art director and they do some kind of stupid thing like running caption type across the gutter. <laughs> so one day I delivered a job to John Ficara and because I'm like so many other freelancers, I work all alone. And when I'm with people, I suddenly can't shut up. And you've seen that tonight. Um, I said, hey, John, you remember 
about five years ago, you offered me a bullpen job here at MAD. You know, it's something you said, why don't you come to work for MAD, you know, and and you can still do your freelance work. You work here three days a week and, and you know, well, there'll be plenty for you to do, helping out Lenny and, and Tom. And I said, no. I said, I was too invested in my freelance career. And I knew that, you know, I'd get a freelance deadline and I'd start calling in sick to mm-hmm. man. And I couldn't do that. So I just turned him down. Mm-hmm. I said, remember when you offered me that job? <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, if you'd offered me that job today, <laughs> I might have thought twice about it because the difference between then and now is I've got a four-year-old at home. Yeah. <laughs> And I was not looking for the art director's job because I had no idea really what an art director's job was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew it from my interactions with art directors, but I knew that there was a lot more that I didn't see as a freelance illustrator. Right. Uh, and to my mind, most art directors came from the ranks of designers, not illustrators. Mm. You know, the only exceptions i could ever think of to that that i knew of at that time were milton glazer and paul davis who had mm-hmm. both worked but they but glazer definitely was a designer even though he also was an illustrator so i wasn't looking for the job i just i was just <laughs> making small talk right but i didn't see the light bulb go over john's head mm. <laughs> he called me the next day he said how'd you like the job Wow, that was fast. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. I said. Wait, wait, wait. You really think I'd be more valuable to you in that position than I am as an illustrator? Because by that time, I was doing a lot of work for them. Oh, yeah. I had one oh, yeah. issue, then I had three articles in the same. <laughs> uh, and he said, yes. I said, okay. Well, the begs the question, uh, were, you fast ar- were you or are you a fast artist? I mean... I'm not fast the way Jack Davis is fast. Oh, okay. okay. Um, I, I'm a deadline artist. Okay. All you right. Give me a and... job. Give me three weeks to do a job. I'll, it'll take me three weeks to do. Give me three days to do the same job. If it's doable, I'll do it in three days. Okay. In fact, usually I did the three week job in the last three days. <laughs> okay. Continue. Okay. <laughs> um, I said, okay, well, let me think about it. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I learned later that that a few things were at play here. One was that I had already been toying with, with computer stuff. You know, I'd been playing around with Photoshop and, and uh, Illustrator. And in fact, the first Matt article that was fully digitally illustrated, I did. Okay. <laughs> so they thought I knew more about computers than I actually did. <laughs> uh, the second thing was that within the rarefied world of MAD, I had a name. Yeah, I was a, a you know a commodity to MAD readers, if no one else. Mm-hmm. So apparently, John pitched me to to Paul and and Jeanette, and they said, "Hey, that's a great idea." Mm. And so he called me the next day. He offered me the job. Mm-hmm. I said, well, let me think about it. Uh, and I talked to my wife. And she, tr- she tried to discourage me. Mm. I said, why? 
She says, well, I just want you to be happy. And she thought that after over 20 years of being a freelancer, that I wasn't going to enjoy working in an office, being having a boss hang over me all the time and being other people's bosses as well. That was not what I, I made pictures. Mm. But the idea of, of having regular hours, regular pay, benefits, vacation, things that freelancers generally don't get was very appealing. As I said, I had a four-year-old at home. Um, also, I, I was in my mid-40s, going through my version of a midlife crisis. I'd been doing the same kind of artwork for 20-some years. I was trying to figure out something new, some new way to do it. I wanted to bring more pizzazz into my life. Uh, and you know, this is like a whole new job, a whole new career. Mm-hmm. That was, a, and also I was kind of seeing the ha- handwriting on the wall that, you know, I, I was getting, clients were dropping by the wayside, which happens as a normal course of events. But I said, you know, if, if I lose too many clients, I'm not going to be able to, to have my share of the income for the family. Right. So, it was a combination of, of rationales why I accepted the job, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, it would be a creative challenge. It would be a personal challenge. Uh, and I said, look, I'll give it a year. If I'm not happy at the end of the year, I'll go back to freelancing. Right. Well, 19 years later, they had to yes. drag me up kicking and screaming. So right. I guess I did like it. And mm-hmm. the fact is, yes, I did. I, mm-hmm. you know, as, as much or more than any office setting, it really is a family at mad mm-hmm. for all the good and bad that that may entail. Right. Um, and that was definitely true under Gaines. Mm-hmm. Gaines really did create a family with himself as big daddy at the top. Yeah. Now, when he was gone, Nick and John didn't try to fill his role in that way, but they still tried to keep it as a family, even though a lot of the things were gone, we didn't go on trips anymore. We, right. uh, we didn't get bonuses or things like that, but you know, and when I came on board, it was the same thing. I couldn't offer the same kinds of things that the old guys got under Gaines and Putnam and, and Lenny. And, but I could make them feel wanted. Mm-hmm. I could make them feel loved. I could make them happy about the fact they were part of this family. And the fact is I loved working with all these guys. Mm-hmm. I've told many people that the, the biggest regret, the, the thing that hurts me the most in now in five years since, since the mad New York offices closed down and I no longer have that job is I don't get, I don't have the opportunity to just pick up the phone and call somebody and say, I got a job for you. And that's a good excuse to just start, schmoozing with them right you know i mean i still am in touch with a fair number of 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 mad guys and especially the the old guys the ones that are left but you know it's it it's a little awkward sometimes just to call up and say i just thought i'd say hello yeah yeah <laughs> when i used to call up and say hey i got work for you yeah. 
Although, you know, I've seen photos. You guys get together to go eat or something every so often, it seems like. So at least you kind of do that. Well, you're talking about the staff? Yeah, yeah. In more recent years, I mean. Yeah, it's you know, not least... happened much yeah, um, yeah, for but... a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, uh, some of the guys have gotten jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Brian Flanders works at Scholastic now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. Yeah, I, I'm in pretty close touch with Fakara and Rayola and Kadu, a little bit with Ryan, less, although we you know we all are on a text feed, so uh, we, we always kind of share thoughts about things with each other. But I, and the pandemic really kind of killed us getting together for dinner. The last dinner all of us were at was probably in 2019. Oh really? Oh, okay. Yeah, you're overdue. <laughs> we are overdue. Uh, um, but let me ask you a few questions about you know as art director. Then, um, did you have any say so bringing in any artists, or is that all Meglin and Fakara? No, I. As art director, and not only I. I mean, okay. probably even more than than myself, Ryan Flanders, who I hired as a junior production artist and worked his way up to design director over 18 years, mm. um, 17 years for him. Um, Ryan was always on the lookout for, for new voices. And he had a much better sense of the younger artists start out there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I had a patchy track record bringing in new artists <clears throat> I, I was a little uncomfortable bringing in friends because a, it felt a little nepotistic <laughs> and B um, I, I didn't want to be accused of giving somebody work just because they were my friends. Mm -hmm. And it was always difficult to um, justify new artists. Um, yeah. You know, uh, nobody, but nobody, including myself, does their best work their first time out with Matt at any rate. Because <laughs> you're nervous, you, you, yeah. you don't know what they're looking for. And yeah. one of the reasons that we depend on the, the, the standbys is that we know what they can give us and they know what we want. Yeah. Uh, a new person is a lot more work. And I know I see somebody's work in, in a trade directory, like the workbook or American showcase or something. Mm -hmm. And I say, Oh, I got to use this guy. And I pull him in, I give him a job for like a mad 20 piece. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering how they did such good work that was in this trade directory and the work that, and sometimes I give them a second shot and it just wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I, I, I was not, I, I do not think I was very good at bringing in new people. I, I encouraged people who maybe had been a little more sporadic earlier to do more work for us, like Rick Geary. Mm -hmm. Uh, I loved Rick's work and, yeah. and, and, and I'd use him whenever possible. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, and, you know, there were a few people who came in under my uh, administration. Richmond is probably the most, uh, yeah. I mean, we desperately at that point needed somebody who could do car continuities. 
because I had been taken out of the rotation. I see. Yeah. And so we had oh. Mort and we had Angelo, both of whom were getting older. And that's a lot of a really labor intensive thing to do. Right. Richmond was, was young. Uh, he was very aggressive in pitching himself <laughs> um, when he first did. And he tells the story, so I'm not yeah. talking out of school here. He uh, he cornered me at, uh, well, he actually, I had just gotten the job as art director, and he was the president of the National Caricaturist uh, Association or something. And he had organized a special mini convention in Connecticut, and he invited me to come be a guest speaker. And his reason for inviting me was to show his portfolio to me. And he did. I looked at it and I said, you know, I got to be honest with you. It's not bad work, but it, it's so dependent on its influence by Mort Drucker. Mm -hmm. We got Mort. We don't want another Mort. Go find the best Tom Richmond you can give us. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that Nick Meglin had told them the exact same thing just a few yep. months before. Yep. <laughs> so a year, year and a half later, at a Rubens, that happened to be, I think, in New York, <laughs> he cornered us again. And he had been doing stuff for Kraft. And he showed us what he had done, like um, a gladiator. Yep. And I think he'd even written it himself. Yeah. And Godzilla, I think. And um x-men i think were the ones they did something like that yeah i don't i remember the gladiator yeah one. yeah and both nick and i thought okay you know he's showing <laughs> real evolution from his drucker roots he knows how to tell a story he knows how to sell the gags we gave him a few other things first before we gave him yeah. a movie or tv parody but you know he proved himself yeah. um and, you know, of course, because he could work in color, when we moved into color, yeah, he was talking about that. He yeah. started getting more work because, you know, uh, he was coloring digitally. Neither Morton or Angelo could do that. Angelo, we could get Wildstorm or another color studio to colorize his work. Mort did not want his work colorized. Right. Which Mort is odd, had very a, odd. <laughs> well, you know, first of all, Mort had earned the right to be as picky as he wanted. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, look, I did this back in my comic book days. I did the penciling and inking and someone else colored it. Now I want to be in full control of my artwork. Mm. And, you know, he couldn't. He would do a full color cover, yeah, but he couldn't do a six page parody in full color. Mm -hmm. um, so we were really restricted to doing just black and white stuff with Mort, which meant that Richmond was getting all the meaty stuff because we, if we're going to do a superhero movie, we wanted it to be in full color. Yeah. And, you know, we try and find stuff that catered to Mort's skills like, yeah. I remember when, uh, I think Charlie Cato wrote it, the parody to the TV show Las Vegas. Yeah. And the splash had the rap pack at top. I said, oh, this will be great for Mort. <laughs> because he'd be able to draw Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin. 
and he did a great job. And and uh, another one that I was so happy we gave to him, and then I screwed it up, was Deadwood, because you know Mort loved to do cowboy stuff and and old timey stuff, and he did a beautiful job. Except he had started experimenting with ballpoint pen. And it was much harder to reproduce than India ink. I mean, Mort always tried different stuff. If you ever looked at a Mort Drucker original, you would realize it was like mixed media. There would be pen and ink and and uh, Zipatone and Ruby Lith and pencil shading and, <laughs> and, and washes and magic marker. I mean... <laughs> In some ways, his originals were a mess, uh-huh. but they were a glorious mess. Hmm. And, and you know, as long as they reproduced, it didn't matter that the originals were a mess, right? Yeah. Um, the ballpoint pen was just trickier. And I remember that I was just utterly devastated when the magazine came out because it just looked not good. Mort's Deadwood, you know, it looked uh, murky and and kind of clogged up. And I, I tried to redeem myself when we did the Mort Drucker book, uh, Matt's Greatest Artist, because mm-hmm. um, I got the chance to put that book together. Mm-hmm. And I made sure we did Deadwood and that we cleaned up the scans. And mm-hmm. so it looked the way Mort would want it to look. Is that the one that Mort took his name off of, or was that a different no. one? There's one that he didn't like. I think he that... tried to color it or something. Was that it? Okay, so Amir's <laughs> uh, had gone by, yeah. and apparently, and this might have been just when I started or even before, uh, I think a Star Wars thing that Mort had drawn had appeared in a special colorized Oh, and okay, he hit it. the roof. Yeah. He he just didn't was not happy with it. And that's when the agreement was made. We'll never run your stuff. We'll never colorize your stuff. Yeah. So years go by. And the problem is, is that we're having a harder time giving more work. Right. That suits him because we can't run it in the color. And by this point, we've got a full color magazine. Right. You know, it was one thing when we were doing like spot color and, and a few pages here. and a, But by this point, we're full color. I went to Mort. I begged him. I said, Mort, <laughs> just give us one chance to try to colorize your work. Uh-huh. And if if you're not happy with it, I'll never ask you to do it again. He said, OK, but I don't want my name on it. Mm. OK. So it was uh, the TV show 24, hmm. the Kiefer Sutherland show. Right. And Mort, because it was going to be colorized, didn't do a lot of shading and, and, and grays and stuff. Uh, and, and so next to his regular work, it looked a little sparse. Uh, it's still well-drawn, well-paced, funny. Um, and I sent it, I think... My, I think it was Wildstorm who was still doing most of our color at that time. Right. And I, I just, I just 
did the wrath of God thing with them. I said, this is Mort effing Drucker. <laughs> and you better do the best color job you've ever done in your entire lives. Uh-huh. The wrong thing to have said. Because wow. what we got back was so tight uh. and dark and unpleasant and just not good. I couldn't run it mm. in color. But I couldn't run Mort's ink spare either because there was nothing holding them together. Mm. His usual shading and zipatone and ruby lith and washes. <laughs> so what I had to do is take the color plate, the color color files, and uh you know, take all the color out. So they were just grayscale and run them under more sinks, Mm -hmm. which was not really satisfactory either. Uh, Fakara had a statement of uh, a a, a phrase he used, a feathered fish. It's neither this nor that. And that's what we got was a feathered fish. Now, even if it had come out good, Mort would almost certainly not have let us run his name on it. I, I don't remember the name he used, Bob King or something like yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> um, but it was not very good. And, you know, there are people who said, this looks like Mark Drucker's work, but what's wrong with it? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and I never yeah. again, I never yeah. again. And we would continue where, you know, I, <clears throat> like I'm, uh, Mort did, uh, for our monkey issue, he did a parody of the TV show Monk with uh, uh, Tony Shalhoub, right. except it was a real monkey. Uh, and we ran that in black and white. Yeah. You know, um, there were a few spots later on toward the end of Mort's run before he retired from Mad. Uh, he did some spots for the Fundalini. And I personally colored those. Mm. And I think if I recall, I, I may have run them by him before we ran them in the magazine or something. Mm. But, you know, it, it, I mean, I, I kind of painted them practically in order to, to try to live up to his, his penmanship. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, and see, this is, this is the thing. Uh, the art director skill and any editor skill <laughs> is not simply, I mean, I used to tell people my, I had two functions to my job. One was to get the magazine out on time, mm-hmm. which is no mean feat, as I mentioned earlier Two, hopefully to be the best damn looking magazine that we could put out there. And I think overall we accomplished that. I, I think that, visually and i actually think of writing too the magazine we put out for the most part stood up to anything from earlier periods now a lot of people argue with that you know constantly mad is never as good as well you know mad is never as good when you first discovered it (laughs) so you know people who were kids in the in the early 50s never got over the fact that mad became a magazine right that was Uh, my dad (laughs) Or is my dad. You know, yeah. 
my favorite period was the early 60s. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. if you really read it now, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, I, I kept I kept reading it. It's like, but I started reading in 1974. So, I mean, there shows you, you know. How when long that, it's been. It's already fifty years for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's already um, past the peak if you go by sales. But hey, you know, right? Like, you know, well, but... I was say the art director's <laughs> job is also you have to work with people. Yeah, you know, to a certain extent, you're a psychologist. I mean, I don't want to overplay that part, but yeah. you know, you work with each individual artist as you feel they need to be worked with. What's going to get the best work out of them? Is it going to be giving them a lot of time? Is it the exact opposite saying, I need this quickly because right. I know that you're a, an energetic deadline person. <laughs> um, is it, is it going to be helpful for them if I give them some kind of sketches mm-hmm. so that they don't have to try and figure out what we're asking of them. They can see in the sketches, they know what the gags are supposed to be. Then they can fly. And honest to God, it was the old guys who really wanted me to do that. People like Jaffe and Coker, because they could spend their time then crafting their work rather than trying to figure out what's the joke supposed to be here. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I always love seeing because Coker, I do. I sent him sketches and he'd send me back something that was totally different, (laughs) but better, which is fine. Yeah. Jaffe, I'd send him the sketches and he'd add like 20 gags to each one. <laughs> Great. Yeah. That makes my life so much easier. Yeah. But then, and this is what I was getting to earlier, I'm bringing somebody new. They don't know what MAD wants of them. They may think they do, Yeah. but they generally don't. And so it means I got to work harder with them. I, I need to see their sketches and more than I would with an old guy, mm-hmm. send them back and say, no, you got to do this. You got to do that. And I always felt my strongest suit as an art director was that I had a 22 year career as an illustrator before I came on to the job, because every illustrator has a story where they're asked by an art director or more likely an editor to do an illustration that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meglin's uh, example is always okay. It's it's the scene from Gone with the Wind where Scarlett O'Hara is going through the train station and there are bodies everywhere as far as the eye can see, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of bodies, dead and maimed and wounded, and then you see this one soldier in the distance, sitting up, and on his belt buckle is the signature of his loved one. (laughs) And you say, how the hell am I going to do that? (laughs) My strength as an art director, I thought, was that I would never ask an artist to do something that wasn't possible. And if they thought it was impossible, I could show them how to do it. Um. And, but as I said, younger artists not only had the history that the older guys did, they also were younger, usually cockier. Mm-hmm. I know better than you. So 
there'd be a more of a dance. Yeah. And, and sometimes it worked out, you know, Richmond worked out very quickly mm-hmm. in the early issues. I used to give him doodles for the splash pages. The splash pages are pretty complicated. Yeah. And I realized he doesn't need these. He knows how to lay this out. <laughs> and for, you know, the vast majority of the 18, 19 years I worked with him, I didn't do that. Yeah. Um, uh, there are other artists that I really enjoyed working with that I think came in with me. Um, uh, Rich Powell comes to mind. Uh, I really liked his stuff. Um, uh, Tim Hamilton. Uh, and of course, the, my heart of hearts, he was there before me, <laughs> but I absolutely love uh, working with Herman Mejia <laughs> because uh, just a brilliant brilliant artist and that's that's the example where you give them a script and i gave them doodles yeah and what i would get back would be more than i ever could have hoped for (laughs) you know uh, that was really like christmas Mm -hmm. so uh i say you know that i that's why I ended up in the job for 19 years. I loved working with all these mm-hmm. people, both the, the staff at the office and all of those wonderful freelancers. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's a very, very strange position to be in. And not many people, maybe nobody else on earth can say this. I started out as a reader, as a kid. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a fan that, that this was the work of gods that came down from <laughs> Olympus every month and a half. These weren't real people. It was just, you know, the names were names. They, I, there's just the work of gods. And then I got to play in their sandbox with them. Mm-hmm. I got to be colleagues with them. I got to go on trips with them and they actually welcomed me into their group. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 that's unthinkable. And then I sort of became their boss. <laughs> you know, now, you know, how do you art direct Al Jaffe? Here's the sketch for my fold in. That's really good, Al. Go finish it. <laughs> you know. Sucks. But, no. <laughs> but, you know, over, over all those years, I felt a closeness to all these guys and that's why i tried to keep up with them and and and, uh you know i the fact that now i can say al chaffee is my friend yeah sergio argonis is my friend paul coker was my friend yeah i'm so heartbroken that i can't say that in the present tense anymore right um uh, angelo torres is my friend Mm-hmm. Harry North is my friend. Irving Schild is my friend. <laughs> that that the working relationship grew into something more. Yeah, it's just you know, uh, I'm I'm a very lucky guy. Mm-hmm. I really well, am. I envy you. <laughs> I will say that. Um, no, I a uh, couple questions because we've been talking for quite a long time, so I'll try. I to, know. Yeah, uh, but. I have to ask the never-ending podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, 
you used the name Jack Syracuse. Was that to differentiate when you became an art director? Where did that name come from? Where, what was the story behind that? When I took on the job, okay. I was told that I, there, the DC Comics, and Matt at this point is part of DC, had a rule that you could not do your job that you were being paid a salary for on a freelance basis. Mm. Okay. Um, but I could do illustration on a freelance basis because it wasn't the same wheelhouse as being an art director. Mm. Okay. However, I was being paid my salary on my social security number for my art director job mm -hmm. to do freelance work. I had to go to city hall and get a DBA doing business ads. <laughs> wow. I didn't know it was that so involved. <laughs> yeah. So, and there were certain rules about the name you could give your company. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad, remember I mentioned my dad about mm -hmm. three, four hours ago. Yeah. My dad always had this name for himself. I don't know where it came from or why he, he called himself Jack Syracuse. Huh. So I wanted to call myself Jack. I wanted the, the, this business to be Jack Syracuse. I was told you can't use a person's name. Hmm. You can, however, use a location, a city name, a state name, a country name. Syracuse happens to be a city. So I, I did all the paperwork to do my business, my illustration business, a Syracuse illustration. And when I did my first freelance job after becoming art director, I said, you know what? If Syracuse is getting paid, Syracuse should get the credit. Mm -hmm. So I started using, I said, I want the credit to read Art Jack Syracuse. <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't care. I mean, a number of writers that have used pen names. Arnie Kogan had about like two dozen pen names. <laughs> um, so they, they didn't have a problem. They didn't care why. And I didn't try to do a different style, you know, because for me, style is not a conscientious, conscious thing. You, once again, much earlier asked about my developing style, it wasn't a conscious thing. I go by the, the, uh, 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 the motto of, of a movie called Round Midnight. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah. Dexter Gordon, a great jazz musician, played a great jazz musician in this movie, but it was set in the 50s. And he's, be, he's in Paris. And he's followed around by a French uh, uh, journalist who at some point asks him about style and he says style isn't something you pick off a tree the tree grows in you and that's what i believe that style here's another analogy when i was in third grade i took penmanship in school as everybody did in those days cursive writing and we all learned the exact form of all the letters the same way so con 
presumably as you grow up, everybody is still writing the same way, but that's not true. By the time you become an adult, your signature may bear no relationship at all to what you learned in third grade. Right. Because your personality takes over. Your comfort with doing that becomes, you know, built in. So it's the same for me with artwork that the I'm not trying to do a style. I'm just trying to do a good picture. And the more I do it, the more it becomes my work, my personal work, even though, you know, I never had imitating anyone else's style. I mean, tons and tons of influences and not just caricaturists. You know, I mentioned Carmine Infantino. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a big influence, but so was Joe Kubert and Gil Kane and 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 Norman Rockwell and and <laughs> Michelangelo, mm-hmm. you know everything kind of combines in you. To, but then you take over, mm-hmm. and that was my style. And I think there isn't that vast a difference. But it, once again, this is where I rely on someone else to, between the work I was doing in 1980 and the work I do now. You know, I think that there's some kind of similar similarity to it. Yeah. You know, the same person, just a little older. Yeah. A lot older. I think you got better. I'll tell you that. But one thing, one thing I will say, and this is kind of sad to admit this, but it's the truth. When I started reading Jack Syracuse as a name, I go, wow, Mad hired another guy that draws just like Sam Bibby. (laughs) hey i didn't know that it was you using a pen name for a while and then i kind of figured it out it's got to be him because it's exactly the same but at first i was just like i think it was like the britney spears cover where she had the big snake i think he used syracuse on that if i remember correctly like this guy just that i don't remember i i i mean i know i remember the art the cover yeah i'll have to look but i signed it i think i did sign it jack yeah. yeah, and it's like, I go, wow. But you know what? This happened again in the 70s at, at, when I was reading Cracked. Um, uh, Severin would always, John Severin would do the covers, but one time he signed the cover Powers, which was his middle name. I didn't know this. So I go, wow, they got another artist that just is exactly like John Severin. <laughs> right. Well, so, and, and, you know, know, I got fooled twice, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Kids are going to. They're not they're not going to be sophisticated enough necessarily. But we did get comments. I I got complaints that we had hired a bad Viviano imitator. <laughs> so, you know, after about well, 10 I guess years, I wasn't alone. OK, all right. <laughs> after about 10 years of doing that, I just got tired of it. You know, yeah. it was an in joke that yeah. I felt had had run its course. So. Uh, and I think actually, too, by that time, they changed the policy mm-hmm. that we weren't allowed to do any freelance work. So I kept doing some work. Sometimes it was just out of necessity. There's a last minute. we got to have something in this this article and there's nobody available. And I do it over the weekend. Right. Um, and I wouldn't get paid for it. Yeah. You know. And I wasn't doing it on company time, but, you know, there were one or two times where Fakara would say, I want you to illustrate this. Okay. Um, So, I mean, there's, by that time, 
I was signing my own name to it. Um, the, the peak of that was, uh, in 2016, uh, that was the year Hamilton broke. And one of the writers wrote some article about Hamilton, historical inaccuracies in Hamilton. And, uh, I said to John, I, I'd seen I had seen Hamilton. I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I became like a real nut about <laughs> Hamilton. I said, You gotta let me illustrate this. Mm-hmm. And he said, Okay, okay, okay. And you know, I did it so I could do a full page with the entire cast of, <laughs> of, of you know the original cast of Hamilton, you know, Lynn Manuel Miranda and, and Renee Goldsberry and Philippa Sue and David Diggs. <laughs> And, and, and I was just so excited about finishing this and I got it all penciled and inked on pencil actually, no. And a doctor discovered I had a malignant something or other up my nose, Mm. a, uh, an inverted papilloma. Mm -hmm. And he said, this is on, on June 30th. And the job had to be finished the next week. Mm. And he said, I got to, got to take this out as soon as possible on, Mm. on Tuesday, Monday was 4th of July, Mm -hmm. Tuesday we're operating. And I said, I got to finish this job. Mm. He said, I don't care about the job. And there was another doctor in the office who said, I don't care about the job either. And since I happen to be married to that doctor, I can't (laughs) argue with her. So I inked the thing over the weekend like a madman. I mean, just like crazy. And and uh, and then we had to get a professional colorist to do the color on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and, and she uh, her name is Carrie Strange. She did a wonderful job on it, and I, I I love her for it. But you know, this was a job I wanted to do. Right. <laughs> and and you know and. Kind of like the Mark Drucker thing came in. If I'm going to do it, I want to do it soup to nuts. Right, exactly. <laughs> On the other hand, <laughs> when the issue came out, I got uh, uh, an email from David Shane, who had been an editor at MAD for a number of years, then moved out to L.A. to write for TV. And uh, he said, did you see Lynn manuels tweet this morning? I said, I'm not on Twitter. What, what tweet? So he sent me a photo, uh, a, a scanner, you know, a, a screenshot. Mm-hmm. And somebody had taken a photo of this page in MAD and posted to Lynn Manuel's uh, Twitter feed and said, Did you see this? And he wrote back, See it. It's already on its way to be framed. Mm-hmm. A Viviano caricature equals a lifetime highlight. Lynn Manuel Miranda wrote that. I went, oh, wow. wow. <laughs> I mean, that was like, I hadn't been that excited since I got that letter from Dick Giordano when I was 15, 14, 15, <laughs> 15, saying I was a professional cartoonist. So, and later, just before we closed down the offices, Dick DiBartolo, in, who had befriended Lynn Manuel, invited him to come visit the offices just before we closed down. Mm -hmm. And, and because Dick wrote to him and said, if you don't come soon, 
there won't be any mad offices to see. (laughs) And and Lynn Manuel wrote back, how about Tuesday? Four (laughs) 30. Sure. So four 30 comes, we're all lined up waiting for him to come in. Mm -hmm. Fakara who, who always looks at the half empty side of the glass said, he's not going to show up (laughs) Four thirty. On the dot. Hey, cool. <laughs> the, the, the front desk says, somebody's here to see you. And he comes up with a huge entourage. Hmm. One person, his best friend from grade school, the kid he had collected mads with. with wow. <laughs> the guy who's now a high school science teacher or something like that. Hmm. So he was wonderful. He's just a very nice man. Mm-hmm. And he took pictures with us. He signed things. He acted like he was excited to meet us. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, so that, you know, that's one of those high points that you get when you, when you have a job like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now, one last question. <laughs> I know we're going sure? to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I got do- dozens I could probably ask, but no, seriously. Uh, when you were told that this is all over in New York and it was all moving to Burbank, did you ever once consider, I'm going to go out to Burbank too, or was it just a done deal? You just said, I'm done, you know? Well, it, this, this thing happened in stages. Okay. Now, as I said earlier, Diane Nelson came in to take the reins of DC around 2009, 2010, I think. Mm-hmm. That's right. uh, and one of the first decisions she made, you know, she came from the movie business mm-hmm. and she knew that Warner Brothers wanted to get more bang for the buck out of the comic book company. Mm-hmm. So one of the first decisions she made was that she was going to move DC Comics from New York to Burbank. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. I think there were about 300 people working for DC at that point. And they had to sit down with each and every person and explain what their opportunities were, what their options. They offered everybody a job in Burbank mm-hmm. if they would move. Yeah. Um, they wanted some people more than others. It was not an even playing field. Mm-hmm. You know, if they felt you were really uh, necessary to whatever they wanted, they would offer you more. But, you know, people, most people are getting offers of, that the move would be paid for, that they'd have a job, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, of the, I think, eight people on the staff at MAD at this point, and we're talking about 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. not one of us had any interest in moving to California. Mm-hmm. Um most of most of the people on staff at MAD were lifelong New Yorkers. Right. I was an exception. I grew up in Detroit, but I, you know, I moved to New York in 1975. I'd been here for over 40 years. Right. <laughs> um, and, and we had family. We had commitments. We had and none of us like California anyhow. No, um, I'm from so, California, but anyway. <laughs> uh, they they were nonplussed, but they said, okay. Um, and this is Diane Nelson. Once again, I'm going to give her credit. She said, without you guys, there's no mad. 
we'll figure out a way to leave you in New York. And when the final wave came in 2015, DC closed up shop in April of 2015. And I think there was a specific reason. I'm not absolutely positive. The speculation on my part, remember DC moved into the 1700 Broadway in 1995. I believe they had a 20 year lease. The lease was up. Yeah. So they left and they moved uh, mad to offices in another building around the corner where Warner Brothers had offices. And we moved there knowing that it was just a matter of time. At Mm. some point, they're going to knock on the door and say, it's time to move to California. And that happened in February of 2017. Dan DiDio and, and Jim Lee came out, once again, talked individually with each of us and, and said, you know, uh, we're moving mad. If you want to go, you can. Now, the exceptions were, I believe, I know me, but also John Ficarra, mm-hmm. um, because they had already determined that there was no way on hell that we were going to move out to California. Mm-hmm. So they offered it. And once again, nobody was willing to go, uh, except we did pressure Burn Mendoza, who we had just hired as a junior production artist. We said, Burn, you're 26 years old. This is an adventure. Take it. They're paying you to move to California. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's still working for DC. And yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but when they came down and sat w- with me in my office and they said, we know, they said, we know you're not going to move to California. Yeah. So, and I said, oh, wait, wait, wait. I said, I know I said this four years ago, whatever it was, <laughs> but things have changed in my life. I said, I had a cancer scare last year. I had two surgeries. I had six weeks of re- of, uh, of radiation treatments. Mm-hmm. By the way, for everybody out there, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Good. <laughs> I'm. No, I have no cancer at all. Period. Okay. But but I had run up thousands of dollars of of hospital bills. Yeah. You know, and fortunately, I had insurance. You know that. Twenty-five hundred dollars uh, was cut down to. I ended up paying like two hundred and forty-seven or something. Mm-hmm. And I said, for that alone, I would want to come out to California and keep this job. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I, I'll work very hard. And they went, oh geez, uh, we're going to have to look into this because they were not prepared. <laughs> for John or me to say they knew John and also John did work an extra year as a consultant yeah so about three weeks later I got a call from the deal and he said we can't work it out financially Mm. you know that they had made certain arrangements when they had moved out and so uh they said, no, we can't do it. Now, they gave me a very good retirement package. They, they gave us a big party. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to complain about, you know, business is business. Yeah. We knew all along yeah. that we didn't own mad. We were the caretakers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, I was on staff for 19 years, Joe and Charlie for 33, John for 37. I mean, you can't be involved. And even Ryan was on for 18 years. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, You can't be involved with something that intensely for that long and not feel like it's being ripped away from you. Right. Uh, But in my more objective, cogent moments, you know, I accept the fact Mm -hmm. that, you know, they made a business decision. They moved it to California. They got a new staff. Things didn't seem to quite work out. Yeah. You know, God bless Susie Hutchinson and Byrne for pretty much doing everything in their power to keep it going, even though it's almost all reprint now. Right. Uh, I thank Susie particularly mm-hmm. for talking them into running a special 70th anniversary issue. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and then approaching John and me and saying, do you want to do something for it? Yeah. And I got a chance. And this is the only thing I actually prepared to hold up. I got a chance to draw all of the buddies that were with us, okay. <laughs> that went with us on that cruise to Bermuda in 1991. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a lot of work, but it was a labor of love that, you know, I got to draw. Jaffe and Porges and Coker and Clark and Davis and Sergio and Rick Tolka and Duck Edwing and George Woodbridge and, and all their spouses. Because <laughs> I knew them too. I knew all their wives as well. Was that the last but, one with Gaines? That cruise? This was the last trip Gaines went on. Okay, yes. that's what I thought. Okay. There was only one other trip after that in 1993. It had already been in the planning stages when Bill died in June of 92. Right. Uh, so they went through with it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we actually were told that uh, even though Bill was gone, that nothing would change. Yeah. And, of course, everything changed. Of course, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But we did go on that one last trip to Monte Carlo in 1993. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, I mean, it wasn't quite the same because Bill wasn't there. uh, But still, you know, we did have fun. I I nearly, I I was one of the few people who knew how to drive a stick, but it had been a long time since I had. I threw it in reverse on a on a hill, and I nearly killed about half a dozen of the usual gang of idiots. Wow! <laughs> Fortunately, final, I didn't. Final issue. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Entire mad staff yeah. dead. One fell swoop. <laughs> yeah. And I will tell you, those trips were. Well, I I got to go on the last four trips, mm-hmm. and you know whatever reasons anyone has given for the trips and of course the i won't recount the story of the first trip to haiti because that's easily <laughs> found um but it's just pure business genius yeah. on the part of bill Gaines. bill knew that he had a group of people 
writing and drawing for him that didn't really know each other for the most part. I mean, a few did, but they, you know, they lived all over the country by that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, he knew that if they got, if he got them together for a week or two or even three, Mm -hmm. once every year or two, that they would create a cohesive unit. And he was absolutely right. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like summer camp for, for idiots. And I, I had been off and on. I mean, I'd been involved with mad really for seven years Mm -hmm. before my first trip. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until that first trip that I really felt like part of the gang. That's cool. Um, (laughs) You notice how your questions tend to get answered with all kinds of (laughs) answers and questions. (laughs) <laughs> I'm wary of what I should ask next. Anyway, um, we usually wrap up the show just um, uh, to tell what you're currently doing, if you're making any personal appearances anywhere, if people can contact <laughs> you, if you have a website, if you're just retired and you turned your back on the world, whatever. <laughs> so have at it. <laughs> okay. Uh, when they retired me, uh-huh. First thing I realized was there's no point in looking for another art director job mm-hmm. because being art director at MADS, unlike being an art director anywhere else. And besides which I was 64 years old and hard to find a new job at that age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, well, I'll just go back to illustration, freelance illustration. And it didn't take me long to uh, discover that the career I had had in the seventies, eighties and nineties no longer existed. I was primarily a magazine illustrator. There weren't many magazines left. And the ones that were didn't use much illustration. So I kind of put that aside and said, okay, well, uh, so what do I do? Well, sometimes work comes in like that mad job. Um, uh, I still do covers, not all the time, for um, Hits Magazine. It's a music magazine, publishes out of L.A., uh, every year they have a special anniversary issue. I think they're up to their 37th year now. Yeah. And I've done something like two thirds of their anniversary covers. Um, there are a couple I haven't been able to do when I had that little cancer scare, I couldn't do their cover. And I, uh, I pitched Tom Richmond to them. He did that one. Mm-hmm. And last summer I was so busy with that, mad cruise job i couldn't take it on so uh ed steckley did it um kind of keeping it in the family um but you know aside from that i realized i better start practicing drawing again Mm -hmm. because uh uh i hadn't been drawing full-time for a long time so now sometimes i just get up in the morning i come into my little studio which uh, to be honest, is half of what used to be my daughter's bedroom. <laughs> and uh, I'll just pull a photograph out and I'll, I'll draw it. Well, you know, now I have a whole sheaf of things. This, this is the woman who starred in the Emmett Till movie, mm-hmm. Danielle Deadweiler. Mm. Uh, David Strait Aaron. <laughs> Patricia Highsmith. Wow. <laughs> You know, and I just like doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, there's, and sometimes I've been posting them online. I posted this one online. That's uh, Franz Joseph Haydn, the composer. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, if work comes in, I do the work. If it doesn't, um, I'm doing workshops for Joe Rayola. Joe Rayola is um, the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Theater Within. And uh, they do all kinds of workshops. Uh, they're probably best known for every winter putting on a John Lennon tribute concert, something they've done since the year after John Lennon was shot and killed. So that means 40 years now and counting. Yeah. Um, and the funds that they raise now, they used to put on workshops for Gildas clubs and other cancer support organizations around the country. Um, now, when, when he first started doing this, I was going down to Houston Street for where the headquarters of Gildas Club was and doing workshops with uh, uh, people who were cancer survivors and kids whose parents uh, were cancer survivors or not. Uh, and uh, it was a wonderful thing in person. Now, for the last three years, it's been Zoom, uh, which is a little bit different like this, um, but also enables a, a wider range. So now I'm doing uh, caricature workshops, by the way, uh, in, in uh, not only here in New York, but in Ohio and Illinois and Kentucky and uh, uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, because it's Zoom. Zoom. So... I, I do, I do, uh, you know, like uh, half a dozen of those every quarter, I think. Um, and it's, it's quite meaningful to me and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's worthwhile. And it's sometimes fascinating to see what people who say they can't draw can come up with. So other than that, uh, I spend a fair amount of my day walking my dog. <laughs> I have a Karen Terrier, as I told you earlier, Mark, uh, uh who's quite a handful <laughs> and uh uh but he's my buddy mm -hmm. so uh you know I, i'm i'm adjusting but still kind of curmudgeonly crabbing all the way into uh retirement <laughs> sounds good <laughs> but as long as you're enjoying yourself whatever you do that sounds yeah. like the best plan. well <laughs> i have discovered that uh, I really love to draw. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess that's the one thing that hasn't changed since I was three years old mm -hmm. to wrap it all up. That's very cool. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Sam, for being my guest. This uh, probably will be to come two episodes because I try to keep it. I, you know, three, if, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's fine. And I've done that before. And uh I really appreciate you being my special guest, and that pretty much wraps up another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. Oh, okay, say. it's over. I was just <laughs> going to say, you, you asked me about no, keep going. Was, <laughs> well, I'm not hearing no more. But, I haven't cut it off yet. <laughs> but, 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 um, I have, as I mentioned briefly, started posting stuff again. I did for about a year and a half, then I got tired of it. I don't know how long I'll continue doing it, but there's stuff kind of archived there. So if you want to see my stuff, you can go to Sam Viviano Illustrator 
Facebook and I, you know, there may or may not be like an underscore somewhere, but you know, you just do Viviano, you'll find Sam Viviano Illustrator. Same on Instagram, Sam Viviano Illustrator and LinkedIn. So, but I will ask this, don't send me a friend request because (laughs) I try to keep that part of Facebook for people I really know in real life. Yeah. So, but you can find all the same stuff on the right. professional page. Got it. Okay. Now you can end. And that's a good postscript, but we will end again. <laughs> Ending too. <laughs> anyway, uh, so again, thank you for being my special guest, Sam Viviano. And it's a pleasure talking to you again. And uh, we'll see you next time on another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Sam Viviano, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 213 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Mutant sex monsters rise up and take-